want to keep you here uh, and get no, I want to keep you here. I want to get you out of here in a timely fashion. But Proverbs chapter 1, I, uh, I've, I've written now, this is the third message, uh, and this is I actually want to combine with a little bit older message, but I, it's the third one that I've written for tonight and just uh, felt like, you know, the Lord's wanting me to go a different direction. And so I'm going to give you a promise, Jeremy, uh, and it's a promise to you. It's a promise to everybody in here. It's a promise that God makes, and I think it's one of the greatest promises in the Bible. And if we will look at it, we will receive it, but that's the key word. I, I title this message, Choose or Refuse. Choose or Refuse. And how we choose or if we refuse will determine the life that we have. I'll be honest with you, it would be my greatest dream that everything you said up here would be the fulfillment of your life. But in order to do it, we've got to choose wisely. So I want you to go to Proverbs chapter 1, look at verse 1. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 1 says, The Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, to perceive the words of understanding. To receive the instruction of wisdom, justice, and judgment, and equity. To give subtlety to the simple, to the young man, knowledge and discretion. I'm not going to preach about it here tonight. I, I'm just stopping right here. But, but sometime if you want to go through, and you may not agree with me, but, but Proverbs talks about the seven pillars. And, and if you'll go through that, you'll notice there's seven pillars, I believe, that are here. God, Proverbs say that... Wisdom hath hewn out our seven pillars, and you'll notice that there you have truly seven pillars right there. But verse 5 says, A wise man will hear and will increase learning, and a man of understanding shall attain unto wise counsels. Now that would be enough right there if you just said a man of understanding will shall attain unto wise counsel because there's wisdom in a multitude of counselors and it's really good to be able to, to receive counsel. And that's one of the things that I believe brought Jeremy uh, to where he is is because he's open to counsel. He's open to wisdom that when he comes. But now I want you to go to verse 20. If you skip down to verse 20, and we will go through a few verses here and see the, the most amazing promise, I believe, uh, one of the most incredible promises of the Bible. It says in verse 20, it says, Wisdom crieth without. She uttereth her voice in the streets. You know, wisdom has, has, has been crying all day all over, all over America, all over this world. She's crying without. She uttereth her voice in the streets. She crieth in the chief place of concourse, in the openings of the gates. In the city she uttereth her words, saying, listen to this, how long, ye simple ones, will you love simplicity? You ever listen to the news of the politicians and think, how long are you going to live in this, forgive me, stupidity, simplicity? And the scorners delight in their scorning, and the fools hate knowledge. But now look at verse 23. Look at verse 23. Turn you at my reproof. Behold, look at this. Behold, I will pour out my spirit unto you. I will make known my words unto you. God, with virtually every promise in the Bible, there's some sort of a requirement that goes to that verse where God says, you do this and I will do this. And here's what he says. He says, turn you at my reproof. 
Behold, I will pour out my spirit unto you. I will make known my words unto you. Folks, everybody in here ought to desire to be able to pick up this book and get something out of it. We ought to want to pick it up and, and, and understand what we're reading. And, and I understand this, that none of us will understand all of it in this lifetime. And, and it probably all, you know, take all of eternity for God to really explain it all to us. But we ought to want to be getting something out of the Word of God. Well, the Bible is a spiritually written book and therefore a spiritually understood book. And God says, watch this, if you do this one thing... One thing, I will pour out my spirit unto you. Therefore, it's a spiritually written book, a spiritually understood book. If God pours out his spirit unto me, listen what the byproduct is. I understand the word of God. It comes open. It's like it's unveils to me and I can see the truth. And what God's trying to teach me, if I will understand that God says, you got to do this one thing. Now, what's that one thing? He said, turn ye at my reproof. And it's the struggle that we have in our pride in this world. Clearly, there's a promise here. But, are the, but the requirements to that promise, this is really just one. It says turn. By definition, retreat which has the connotation that you are fighting against something or someone and now you retreat from that fight. God says, you fought against me now. You've been going your way. You've been doing your thing. You've been going by your mind. He said, now turn. Quit fighting against me and now retreat from that fight and say, I surrender. What should instigate that, re- that retreat? Well, God says one of the things that I'm going to bring into your life that will bring that retreat into your life is reproof. Now, if you'll go back to, I'm going to give you three words. We're going to define three words. And back in chapter 1, it says, The problems of Solomon, the son of David, king of to know wisdom and instruction, to perceive the words of understanding. And then he says, to receive the instruction of wisdom. And he goes through all of these seven things. He says to receive the instruction. Now, uh, these three words we're going to take a look at. Number one is the word reproof. Now, reproof is simply correction. But when you do what we call a kind of a word study on it, what you find out is that reproof kind of leans, leans itself toward, toward a verbal correction. It's that, it's truthfully, this is reproof. It's God speaking verbally to us, and he's telling us some things are wrong, some things are right. It's verbal correction. Instruction is like an instructor. This is the night we honor teachers, and we honor a a student, a graduate, but instructor is is a teacher. But this word, again, when you study it, it is correction because that's what teaching is. Teaching is nothing but every day correcting our students. I mean, they, they, they did the math wrong, so we're going to correct them, and they do it right. We, they got the wrong answer to science. We're, all we're doing is correct the fact that they don't know and teaching them to know. And so it's, in, in a sense, a series of correction. But instruction is with the feeling of a, it's a stronger correction than reproof. Honestly, it lends itself to physical correction. Now, what I call this is mama correction and daddy correction. Y'all, none of y'all grew up like I grew up. <laughs> mama says, 
Oh, and I forgot to turn this on, didn't I? Okay, mama says I forgot to turn this on. This is like Simon says. So mama says, don't do that. I told you not to do that. I'm not telling you again. This is the last time I'm telling you. Right? That's what mama says. Daddy doesn't. He don't even talk. He just goes, rips a tree down. And then he walks at you with that tree. Now, that's enough. But then he actually uses that, that switch. And he whips the fire out of you. Because if mama, anybody here, you ever heard mama say, I'm going to tell daddy when you get home, when he gets home? Anybody ever heard that? Am I only one that grew up in America? Oh, you keep doing that, I'm telling your daddy. Well, look, if you grew up like I do, that, that is instant, chill up your spine, weak knees, fear. Because if mama tells daddy, it don't turn out so good when he comes home. Hearing dad drive down that road in that old pickup truck is kind of like hearing the tribulation start. <laughs> And he's coming closer to home, and we are in trouble. And, and so <clears throat> that's kind of what God does. It's, it's mama correction. He's, God says, I'm going to tell you what's right and wrong. And when you won't listen to that, sometimes I'm going to have to come with a little bit stronger correction. I'm going to have to come with daddy correction. Now, daddy doesn't spank you because he he's, hates you, I, I think. The... <laughs> Daddy doesn't do that because he hates you. He does that because he loves you so much. He wants you to do right. And so far, verbal is not doing it. Now, there's another word, though, is this word receive. Everywhere I, I ask people to define receive, I've asked so many young people, college students, people, I say, define receive for me. And the, the most common answer immediately is to accept. But now, if, if we take little Gracie here, where did Gracie go? There's Gracie. She's graduated. We take Gracie and we say, okay, Gracie, and her daddy comes and says, Gracie, you're going to get a spanking. Not to say they ever spank her, but it says you're going to get a spanking. Does she have to accept that? Let me help you, folks. A six-year-old is not going to go, no way, man. And if she does, it's not going to do a whole lot of good. The truth is, she's going to have to accept it, watch this, whether she likes it or not. But that's not what the word means. The truth is, when you really study this word, what it comes out to mean, it means to choose it. God says to receive the instruction of wisdom. God says you ought to choose correction. You know why I should choose correction? Because when correction comes in my life, Jeremy, it's going to come in your life. It's come before, but I'm telling you, it's coming more. And it's coming more in everything that you do. And it's coming more in, in ways you've never imagined. And correction is going to come. And you, ought to, you have to look and say, God, please correct me. You know why? Because without correction... There's no spirit pouring. But when the correction comes, that's an opportunity for you to receive 
the correction. And when the, according to God's word, you receive the correction, the spirit is poured out upon you. And watch this. Now you go. And yeah, it was tough. It was a tough pill to swallow that you were corrected, but you received the correction. Now when you sit down and read your Bible, all of a sudden you say, whoa, hey, you know, I just, I've never seen this before. And folks, if you've never done that, it is so exciting. I had a preacher come to me one day after I preached a message, and he said, look, he said, Bob, you, uh, you've, always, you, you've always been a good preacher. You know, you know they always got to sandwich this thing. And uh, he said, you've always been a good preacher. He said, but, but something has happened to you. Something has happened. He said, he said the truths and the things that you're, you're preaching, he said, it's, it's just different. There's something different about your preaching. And can I tell you, this is what I had learned. I had learned I had fought correction my whole life. No amens right now. <laughs> Playing ball, whatever I was doing, I could see, I took correction as a condemnation. I took correction as a criticism. I, everything that came at me, a correction, I thought you're telling me that you're, you are condemning me. Because I'll be honest with you, I was the type of kid that gave 110% at everything I did. So when you said it wasn't good enough, I had nothing else to give. So I took it like, what, what can I do? You don't accept what I am. You don't accept who I am. You don't accept the way I am. I can still remember in a football game at Germantown, I played both ways there. My senior year, the first four or five, four games, I guess it was. And, and, uh, and, and I, I went out, it was the, the end of the fourth quarter, and I played both ways. I was on every kickoff, I was on every punt, I was on every receiving team. I never walked off. I walked on the field at the beginning of the game. At halftime, I walked off, and at the end of the game, I walked off. I was on the field every other play. And I went out for a pass. Uh, there in the end of the fourth quarter, Jackson Central Mary up there, and I went out for a pass, and it hit the tip of my fingers. And if you touch it, anybody understand? What you, if you touch it, you're supposed to be able to catch it. And so I, I tipped to my fingers, and it bounced off, and I dove again, and it hit my hands. As I dove for it, and it bounced off, and I missed it. I was going back to the huddle. I was so exhausted, I came down the sidelines, and the coach yelled at me, started cussing at me because I missed the pass, and I stopped right on the sidelines, looked at him, and said, shut up. If you got somebody better to come out here, then send them out here, or shut up. Let me help you, folks. That's not a good spirit. <laughs> Here's the crazy thing. He didn't even take me out of the game. You know why? Because he didn't have anybody. Here's the, here's the bigger problem. Today, our society, they think, good, that's great attitude, man. No, that's a terrible attitude because no spirit gets poured out to you. I'm not telling you that correction is always right. I'm not telling you correction always comes the right way. I'm not telling you that it's always comfortable. I'm not telling you that it's going to feel good. I'm just telling you when it comes, you receive it. Because the bonus, the, the, the blessing, the promise is God will pour out his spirit unto you. And folks, I don't care what you're going to do. Jeremy wants to eventually study to, to be a pastor. Can I tell you, there's nothing greater that you could have than the spirit of God poured out upon you. 
But if you're going to be a father, there's nothing greater than to have the Spirit of God poured out upon you. As a husband, there's nothing greater than the Spirit of God poured out upon you. And God says, I will pour out my Spirit unto you. I will make known my words unto you. If you do this one thing, receive my correction. Now, I gave a testament. I mean, I, I honestly, I struggle with it. And sadly, when I'm preaching to you tonight, Jeremy, I fought with, and I'm not saying I mastered it. I'm saying that I'm a lot better. But I fought with it all the way into my 30s. I fought with it all the way as a, as a staff member at an incredible church. And here's what I want, and it's a very condensing of the story, but I, I never had to deal with it. I'll be honest with you. When you give everything you got, and I think, Jeremy, you've done this, I think you've given your best effort. So the truth is, when you give everything you got, you don't get a lot of criticism, correction. You don't get a lot of them. And the truth is, most of the time, you really don't even know how you're going to deal with a real in-your-face correction. I was meeting with my preacher up there, and they had a, and we had been going through the battle of my lifetime. If you've ever been around a military base, you can tell, you know, one day it's open to you, and the next day you can be shut down. And I'd been arrested so many times simply outside the base, soul winning. I've been picked up and carried outside the base, and then once I got outside the base, I got arrested because I'm on the sidewalk witnessing the people outside the base. And I came in one day, and I met with my preacher that night, and, and, uh, and so I started, I just said, you know, hey, I, I need some help with this. This is beating me to death. And here was his answer. He looked at me, and he said, you know, Bob, here's the problem. You don't have good PR. If you don't understand, that's good public relations. Well, me being this calm, cool, collected kind of guy, it went, <laughs> and I said, whoa, because they don't give you a chance to have good PR. They won't talk to you. They just arrest you. And I had been six, eight months into this thing as the leader of it, and before I found out that the guy before me had a, most people won't even understand this term, had a bar letter against the entire ministry placed against him in the ministry, which meant to, for me to even to walk on that base was a federal offense as the leader of that ministry. I didn't even know about it. And I looked at him, I said, not my fault, man. That was Larry's fault. Sorry to call his last name. Shouldn't do that. He looked at me and he said, there wasn't. Don't you say anything about him. He said, you're the problem. You don't have good PR. And man, we went, can I get it, 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 back and forth. Finally, he did this. He threw up his hands and said, we're not going to talk about it. And I said, fine, that's a good solution. But immediately in my mind, I saw those hands somewhere else. I was 14, 15, 16, 17 years of age at my dinner table at home and my dad saying, ain't no need to talk to you, son. You know too much. You never remember saying that, do you, dad? 
And folks, that became a battle for about the next two years. And can I tell you, Jeremy, over the next two years, he never corrected me. You know why? Why should he? I won't receive it anyway. You say, what happened? It was 1989, no, I'm sorry, 1988, and only my dad would know about this, my wife, if she was here, but I became ill with a Mayo Clinic, did a study on it, twice, five days each at Mayo Clinic. They could not get a solution. They've diagnosed it. They've come up with a solution the second time there, did a million-dollar study, and I was a guinea pig. And I would have to at times sleep 18 hours a day just to have the strength to make it the next six. Two years. Two years. I, 20 times in one of those years I passed out, Jeremy. I would be preaching just like this, and boom, I would pass out. 20 times in that year I struggled. Can I tell you, after two years of this terrible, my wife will tell you it was the toughest point of our marriage, our life. She would go and cry and say, God, I can't do this. Be a mother, a father. She was trying to run our ministry because people, she didn't want people to know that I couldn't do it, that I didn't have the strength to do it. One day, they, they would take me up to the base on Saturday and I would walk across the base. About, about 300 yards was the distance that I would walk and I would be so exhausted after 300 yards, at times they would take me back to a car. I'd lay down and sleep for two or three hours, and then I'd go walk again and try to invite somebody. And one day as I was walking across that base, this passage of Scripture smote my heart. Turn to you, my reproof. And God just kept saying, turn to you, my reproof. He'd come with verbal correction, I didn't receive it. He came with physical correction, and I was still struggling with it. And that day, I fell to my knees out in the middle of a parking lot on Great Lakes Naval Base, and I began to cry and say, God, correct me. I'm sorry. Please correct me. Now, I didn't jump up from there and get healed. I'll be honest with you, the illness, they said that, that I would go through about 10 years uh, gradually getting better, and it was about to the truth. It was about 10 years span of time, just gradually getting a little stronger, a little stronger. So God didn't just, because I changed my mind, he didn't just heal me. But about three months after I had this happen, God began to work in my life, and I began to see things in the Bible, but I was still struggling with my health horribly, and and one Sunday night, I never missed church, but one Sunday night, I was so sick and so weird. My eyes were yellow. My skin was yellow. I was jaundiced from the, from the poison in my, in my liver at the time. And, 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 and I was laying in bed. My wife came and woke me about five. And she said, on Sunday afternoon, she shook me. And she said, Rob, it's time to go. And then she looked at me. And I started to raise up. She said, no. And she pushed me back. And she said, please don't go. You're going to kill yourself. You're pushing too hard. You're going to kill yourself. And, I, and, I, and that's the last thing I remember until the phone rang. And, and, and I, didn't, I thought it was moments later, but a phone rang. I couldn't understand why she didn't answer it. When I picked up the phone, there was a man on the phone. And he said, Mr. Hooker, your family has been in a car accident. 
I was so confused. I said, sir, what are you talking about? He said, it's a bad accident. He said, it doesn't look good. And when I finally got out, I found out where they were, and I borrowed a neighbor's car, and I went there, and I had just sweatpants and a house coat on and house shoes, and I got there, and my little six-year-old daughter had had her head just peeled back, and the bone of her skull was peeled back. And my daughter, my 10-year-old daughter, they had spinal fluid and blood, coming from her nose and gagging from the blood in her mouth when I reached and grabbed them and it's such a long story but but I went to a hospital two different ambulances and they told me Candace's neck was broken they told me that Brooke might die because the bone of her nose had been pushed back into her brain and I called the church and I called my pastor but I gathered with people together in that waiting room and we knelt and we prayed and begged God and folks three hours later after three sets of x-rays on both of them they came back to me and my wife and they apologized and said we don't understand it but the third set of x-rays shows that there's no break in Candace's neck And then we went, about 15 minutes later, they came back and the nurse wouldn't even look at us. She said, sir, we've never had this happen, but there is no spinal fluid coming out of your daughter's nose. And what we thought was protruding into her brain is not. And I said, ma'am, don't apologize. God has healed Days in the hospital, I didn't shave or bathe, and all I did was pray that my children wouldn't hurt. And I can remember after, after uh, reconstructive surgery that broke one night about 3 o'clock in the morning, as I'm laying my head on her bed, the nurse came in and, and, and told her, said, Honey, i got to give you pain medication. She was, she was all bandaged and stuffed, and she couldn't speak. And she looked at her and she said, I've got to give you pain medication. And Brooke, in a muffled voice as a 10-year-old, said, No, ma'am. And the nurse got angry and said, Honey, won't your parents let you take pain medication? Because she knew we were Christians. And my daughter said, Yes, ma'am. And that lady said, Then why won't you take it? And Brooke said, Because I don't hurt. And she never took one shot or one pill after total reconstructive surgery. You say, What does that mean? I want you now to go to Proverbs chapter 21, I mean, Proverbs chapter 1, verse 24. This is what God showed me, and Jeremy, please get this. Everybody, please get this. Verse 24, right after the promise, he said, turn you at my reproof. In verse 23, behold, I'll pour out my spirit unto you. I'll make known my words unto you. But look at verse 24, because I have called and ye refused. I've stretched out my hand that no man regarded. But ye have set at naught all my counsel and would none of my reproof. I also, look at what God says, I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your fear cometh. When your fear cometh as a desolation and your destruction cometh as a whirlwind. When distress and anguish cometh upon you, then shall they call upon me, but I will not answer. They shall seek me early, but they shall not find me. Why? For they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. They would none of my counsel. They despised all my reproof. God says you either choose his reproof or you refuse it, but you choose it and God will pour out his spirit. You choose it and God will hear you, but if you do not choose it, God will not hear you when you need him to hear you. 
And as we drove away from that hospital, we came two different days that they were released. In Brooklyn, she was riding beside me as a 10-year-old little girl, and we were driving home, and she began to cry uncontrollably, and I held her over to me, and I said, baby, it's okay, it's all over. And a little 10-year-old girl, she'd stopped. I pulled off the side of the road. She said, no, Daddy, you don't understand. I said, what is it? She said, Daddy, God has spared me twice. She said, I believe God must have something for me to do, and I'm afraid I won't be able to do it. And I began to cry. I said, baby, you will. God will give you strength to do whatever he wants you to do. He spares you to do it. And as, she, as I sat there with her, I realized, oh, God, if this had happened three months ago or six months ago, would you have heard me? All because of one little thing. In our pride, we don't want to be corrected. We don't receive it. We fight it. And we blame it on how we were corrected, or we blame it on whether they had the right to correct us. We, listen, God sends correction in all kinds of ways. He just says, turn ye at my reproof. Behold, I will pour out my spirit unto you. I'll make known my words to you. And the rest of the chapter teaches he will hear you when you need him. Now, let me warn you. The fact that he hears you doesn't mean that he's always going to do what you want. It was a miracle of God that he healed my children. But if he had taken my children, listen, if you can understand this, if both of them had died or if Candace today was a cripple, if she was in a wheelchair today, can I tell you? I still could know in my heart that when I prayed, he heard me because I had begun to hear his reproof. And I wept for a long, long time and said, Oh God, where would I be if this had happened before I turned? If right now I was, had to go back home today and take the handle of a wheelchair for a 31-year-old girl, and as I pushed her around, wondered, does this have to be? Or is this because God wouldn't hear me? Because I wouldn't hear him. We don't grow. You know, I have a coach on a football team I now know, not because he's there to criticize me or to attack me or to condemn me. He's there so he can make me a better player. I have a daddy that teaches me how to work, and he corrects me, and sometimes he gets on to me because of the way I put up that fence or the way I dug that hole or the way I whatever. And you know what? It wasn't there to criticize me and condemn me so that I could be a better worker and a better man. And God doesn't come with his criticism to condemn you, Jeremy. He's going to come in ways I don't even know about. He's going to come. He's going to come so that he could make you a better man of God. And he comes to each one of us, and he gives us the opportunity to have the Spirit of God poured upon us.
a very important thing. We're going to have a short time of invitation. I've gone a little long. Father, I pray that you bless.